Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Shai Resnick. Hello, hello, hello. We have Eunice. I should have asked how to say your last name. Should I Shaidi. attempt it? Let's ask Shai. Shaidi. <laughs> exactly. That's perfect. <laughs> hello, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm kind of excited. My book just came out in paperback on Amazon, so you can go pick it up, amazon.com. We have a special guest this week, and that is Dave Cooper. Dave, do you want to say hello? Hello, everyone. It's, it's very nice and fun to be here. Uh, do you want to just give us a brief introduction, who you are, why people know who you are? Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure anyone knows who I am, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm a developer living in, in London at the moment. Um, I've been here for a few years. Before that, I was living in Australia. And I guess I just recently did my first conference talk at Angular Connect this year. Um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, it was just nice. following the birth of my daughter, so I was unbelievably tired and sort of had a bit of baby brain through that, but that was a lot of fun. I do quite a bit of talking around London, just at various meetups, mostly around the front-end space. That's sort of the thing that's got my got my interests. Very cool. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So, uh, yeah, your talk, if I remember right, was about doing some sort of like modular design or prototyping and testing, things like that. Yeah, so it, uh, it was basically about, I still have trouble succinctly sort of uh, describing this, which is probably a, a little bit of a, a problem. But basically, I see a lot of um, developers sort of in the situation where, you know, you might be working by yourself or in a team and you've got a new project and you've got obviously a lot of front-end and back-end components that need building. And I see a lot of people do some naughty things around how they uh, deal with data in their applications. So, you know, people connecting out to production services to, to test features that they're developing locally on, the, on their machines or things like that. And I think that a lot of people seem to be avoiding using decent, I guess, mock solutions, like data mocking solutions these days. So I sort of talk about that and try to encourage people that it's a lot faster to use mock data. So it's a lot safer, I guess, as well, because you're not touching things that you shouldn't. I'm all about rapid prototyping or just getting code out there in front of people. And I find that working like that allows me to be able to achieve that goal. And so I sort of I guess, preach a little bit about that. And it usually generates some pretty fun discussions. So what are the secrets, right? What are the secrets <laughs> to doing this kind of yeah, fast-moving prototyping? Share yeah. the secrets. I think Turn the crank faster, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just work, work faster, write more code, write less bugs. I think that this is definitely one of those things that uh, 
you know, there's always some cool new thing in the front end space every every week or every month. And I think when it comes to to data marking solutions, that sort of stayed quite stagnant for, you know, the better part I don't know of pretty much this decade. There isn't really much, I guess, innovation happening in that space. So, but I think that there are some libraries starting to emerge, and I've written one myself as well that just allow you to as simply as possible you know, specify what endpoints your front-end application is going to connect out to and what sort of data you want back from when you request something from one of those resources. But then also have the flexibility to say, you know, let's just say that we're working on a, a banking app and we want to be able to pull up a customer that, you know, maybe they've got three different accounts or three different bank accounts. Two of them are in credit, one of them's in debt, and they've got a late payment. If you don't have some sort of data mocking solution in place for that, you need to tinker around with databases or you need to have some test account that could be in whatever state. And I think being able to really quickly and and reliably manipulate application state without having to mess around with databases or connecting out using real customers in production or your staging environments and things like that. I think that that's sort of like a very overlooked thing in the front end space. I think it's it's so handy and it's such a nice developer experience when you start to contribute to someone else's code base and all you have to do to be able to get things up and running is clone their code, install dependencies, and immediately you can start doing things with it rather than having to ask a lot of questions about how can we pull up the application in a particular state. I just have one question here. What would be the challenge if you want to sync like your mocks with your real API, like keeping it use like the same, I don't know, like if you're using open API or Swagger. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this like a challenge? What's the cost? Yeah, so it is a challenge. I think you've you've got two different routes sort of down this path. One of them is that you just accept that there is the possibility that your your data, like your, your local data and, and your mocks might get out of sync and you'd sort of hope that someone would notice that. That's not foolproof. And, you know, that can obviously lead to problems because you're developing against one thing locally and that's not what's in the, your staging or production environments. There's also tooling out there that can allow you to sync up, as you, you mentioned before, like Swagger specifications and generate mocks off the back of that. There's loads of things that do that. And I think that I'm starting to see a little bit more use of it um, around the place. Like even in my current workplace, the other other day, someone came up to me and was like, hey, check this out. You can actually generate, you know, a a mock server off the back of a Swagger specification. And it's really cool to see people doing that. I think that it is probably one of the biggest challenges in this space, though, because people really like actual data, or at least data that looks like it could be production data. Like, you don't want random garbled strings for people's names and addresses and and really large numbers for things like a banking banking app where realistically the numbers are a lot smaller and things like that. So yeah, it is a real challenge, but I don't think it's a surmount, an insurmountable one. Okay, so sorry if I missed that uh, before, but what are the steps? Like what do the listeners can like do in order to start and benefit from it? Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I'd probably say is if you're connecting out to a production or staging service to to develop your apps locally, I'd probably recommend downloading any mock library. Yeah, anything. There's loads of them off NPM. Um, I've written one called Data Mocks. That's starting to get a bit of a tra- a bit of traction at the moment, which is really good. I'm seeing contributions from the community. 
But just getting one of the, I mean, there's loads of really, really popular ones as well. You've got things like JSON server, which I mean, I, I, I'm not 100% sure how many hits that gets, but it must get at least 100k downloads a week. And just get your, your application to connect out to that. And I think you can immediately start seeing the benefits of it. Like a lot of these mocking solutions as well, they don't even spin up, not a lot of them, but some of them don't even spin up like a, an extra service. Like you've got Datamocks, which is, uh, as I said, the library that I wrote earlier, it leverages intercepting fetch and XHR um, requests. So not even running an extra service. So if you've got a really low-end laptop like myself, which really struggles to run most things, you know, it's not an extra thing, which is like chewing up your CPU and battery. Yeah, first of all, awesome job on creating that library. And I, I just want to clarify, the term mock is thrown around a lot. And it means several things in the world of testing. So just to clarify it, we're talking about fake data. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a really yeah that's a, that's a really good point actually. Yeah, that that term does get thrown around in the testing space a lot. Yeah, we're we're talking about yeah fake data. So we have a request, you know, to Dave'sCoolAPI.com/foo, and when we hit that endpoint, we're expecting a particular response back, and that response is what I'm referring to as as the mock. It's the mocked response to that request. Yeah, so just to differentiate in like testing when we're talking about mocks, mock objects, yeah. we're usually talking about like uh, stuff that has assertions built into them. So if you don't get the stuff you 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 expect, it throws an error. But uh, when you talk about just getting like fake data or just like uh, you know just running a method and not like doing anything, just so it will satisfy the compiler uh, we're talking about stubs so that so just like getting the data just to display on the screen the list of puppies that you want to display it's probably it's more like like a stub to those of you of you who know like that term so that's what we're talking about like fake data and just to clarify yeah no that's a that's a very a very good point there yeah definitely Right. And that, you know, just to reiterate that the idea then is, yeah, then you don't have this backend system that's chewing up more CPU or memory and you can just focus on your Angular app. Yeah. And I find that um, not having, because I mean, it really depends the sort of developer you are and what, where your interests lie as well. But I think I see it in a lot more junior people as well is, you know, you're working on a, you know, you might be on a product team at work and your team might be split one of many ways, but you might have front-end specialists and back-end specialists in your team. And I do notice there are certain, I guess, there are certain types of developers that like prefer to stick into their own space. So they, they prefer not to have to, to write endpoint, like back-end endpoints themselves, or maybe they just don't know how to or, or whatever. I find that sometimes you hear things like, oh, I can't work on that yet because the, the API is not ready for that yet. And that's one of the perfect use cases for to, for using these sorts of things is that you don't actually require a, li- a single line of backend code to be written and you can already complete the front-end components without a single line of backend code being written. Yeah, that's a very good scenario for that. Have you talked about, uh, again, sorry if I, I miss, I had some technical issues with the uh, like audio and stuff, so I didn't hear some of the earlier uh, comments. Um, did you talk about the, what happens once you have the data, like the real data? Do you like still integrate it or you just at that point you just like lose the mock 
data and then switch over to using the you know the real one or like what's the strategy there i guess the strategy there is that whatever solution that you're using is that you would only really want to be using these mocked responses when you're developing your application locally so that when you're making a build for your staging or production environment that you're you're no longer using these uh, these mock services anymore. So there's a few ways that you can do that. Like in the entry point to your application, you can always do a check to see if you're in your development environment. And then from there, you can dynamically Im- choose to dynamically import your mock libraries or your mock services. And then that way, it doesn't affect your bundle size when you're making production builds and things like that. Cool, nice. And for testing, like, uh, let's say, Unit tests and stuff. Do you develop with that, or you just it just for development purposes? I've found that the strategy that works for me is just using it for development purposes, because when you're writing unit tests, you know most of the time um, I gather you know you're not necessarily writing unit tests that are unit testing things that make HTTP calls. And if you are, that is a simple thing that you could use. Now I'm using the term, I guess, again, but you could use a mock library for that. For instance, you know, if you're using Jest or, um, or Mocha or, or anything like that, you know, you could mock those directly in your unit test. You yeah. can also have your CI run your end-to-end tests. And... Yeah. Yeah, most of the time you probably wouldn't want to unit test your outer layer of your like, client app. Uh, you probably want to write integration tests there just yeah. to, to see that... Your client is talking with the backend in the right way, and it's not like really helpful to you know mock up stuff that you don't really you can really control. But that's a topic for another (laughs) episode, I guess. Yeah, I got a question. Like before, like diving into like the testing parts. If we dive into it, if we're like uh, developing the app and creating like this fake data. Would you recommend having like a fake data set for the whole app or do you have like fake data sets for each context? So you're like, okay, let's, let's suppose we're in this state and I'm going to load this fake data and I'm going to try my app with this fake data or do you have like a global fake data that you use all the time? I found that maintaining a list of, fi- like I, I refer to them myself just as fixtures. It's probably not quite the right term for it. But basically, I mean, it's sort of a little bit of both. I've found that, you know, you've got your, in in the library that I've written, I refer to them as scenarios. So the application will have, I guess, what you would refer to as the default scenario. So that is like your happiest path that your application could have. You know, your user logs in correctly, you know, they can view their account information, they can make, you know, whatever changes they want. And there's no sort of error states or weird edge case states. And then you introduce the concept of a scenario, which is sort of starting to handle these edge and error cases. And I've seen different libraries handle these things different ways. But usually at the end of the day, you define your default scenario, so like your, your happiest path for, for, for how you use your application. And then these scenarios get merged into that so that you get everything that happens in your default scenario plus whatever you define in this edge case. Maybe there's like a maybe there's like a login error or something like that. Or maybe that's not the greatest example. 
maybe we're already logged in, so that's part of our happy path. And maybe when we try to view our account information for account number two, there's some sort of 500 error from the server. So that would be part of, I guess, the, the set of mocks for that, that edge case scenario or, or error case scenario. And then when you're using your app, when you're developing your app locally and you're trying to test that out and see how things behave, you know, you'd expect that your app would probably do, have, have some, something to handle what happens when we get some sort of error from the server. Thanks. That's a very good question, Eunice. <laughs> Thank you very much, yeah. Shai. I'm trying hard. <laughs> I know. I'm here to support. Thank you. But still, I have another question. Can I go ahead? Y- yeah. Go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On a roll. Okay. So it's quite the same topic. Like, would you, like, considering in developing, like, an Angular app, and, and I want, like, some fake data for my happy past, would you recommend using a fake library like yours to have like fake HTTP responses or would you recommend fake services with the same interfaces and like that can, I don't know, change the data in memory or in a store or anything? So yeah, that was an interesting, that's an interesting one. So how this all started for me is um, I had this problem for the first time which was, hey, I'm starting a new application from scratch and I don't want to have to talk to services that you know, either exist in a live environment or they haven't been written yet. And that's, I sort of got led down that path. And I was introduced, this is back when I was still writing AngularJS, and I was introduced to a library called uh, Angular Multimocks. And that does, it basically behaves the same way that Datamocks behaves, except Datamocks is uh, framework agnostic. And so... When I was writing Datamocks, I think I first used it for a React application. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say React or if that's going to get uh, beat that's down. That's blasphemy. Yeah, there we <laughs> yeah, I'll get dumped from the call in a second. Um, and I remember it working really nicely because to sort of like bootstrap a React application, it's slightly lighter on code than what the Angular CLI generates. But the truth of the matter is that it, it doesn't matter what, what framework you're using or anything like that, there's always an entry point to the application and the developer almost always has access to that entry point. And for instance, the, the way that Datamocks works with it is all you need to do is call a function called inject mocks and you, you, through to that function, you pass through the, the set of scenarios that you want to use with your application. So it's very unintrusive. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, I would recommend using something like um, Datamox or something that if, if you prefer to go down the path that has something that actually spins up something like a node service or any HTTP server, you could use something like a JSON server or API mocker or, you know, there's, there's so many different things, but it's an unintrusive way of integrating it with your application while still having that freedom to have, I guess, the idea is when you build or deploy to a different environment that you're not stuck with that mock solution. You can sort of uh, build it out of your application as well. Okay, so you recommend uh, like to, to use fake data at the HTTP level so it's framework agnostic and yeah. you can reuse it somewhere else. Okay, good. Yeah, absolutely. And it just it makes life so much quicker and easier, especially if you're trying to prototype something or spin up a new a new project that you you know is going to stick around for a while or even if it's not yeah as i said even if it's just prototyping i just think that 
it's such a fast way to get code written and um, immediately start, you know, really being able to focus on the front end space. Thanks. Okay. So what's the cycle that you follow? I mean, are you doing TDD? Are you, you know, build test, build test? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I'd probably be lying if I said that I always do TDD, but possible blasphemy again. But um, Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> Shy's the only one you'll make cry with me. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, it really depends for me on the project and the nature of the work. For simple CRUD applications, I'm probably less inclined to, to follow a more hardcore methodology. For projects that I'm joining and contributing to, I'm probably more inclined to do it. I find that a lot more of my work these days, I'm really enjoying a lot of the projects that I contribute to these days, use Cypress for the, for the UI testing and, and all of that. And I'm really enjoying the idea of writing Cypress tests first so that, and making them fail and then building against that. I find that that's been a really... I guess, effective way that works for me. But I think it's, it's such a, a difficult question to answer um, because there isn't a silver bullet. There's nothing that works right. perfectly for, for everyone. Yeah, That's a very BDD to me, which is behavior-driven development, which is yeah. you build the big story first and then you cycle and you get the yeah. steps out with your unit tests. Yeah. Yeah, most of that I find that uh, writing tests after the code is good when you are exploring like a new a new thing that you're still not sure how it looks like, how the API behaves. You don't really know the API yet. Some people prefer to do it in TDD. That like those scenarios, I find it too confusing because I need to like focus on te- the test and learning a new API. But once I learn, like once I know the API, I switch the order. And then it's much easier to, oh, I know that this is how it behaves, uh, like this library or something like that, or this like framework. And now I know how to write my test, to test my logic. Only my logic uses this or something like that. But I find it also another scenario to use, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's that common, but to use like uh, fake data libraries, like, uh, like you mentioned, and JSON server is when doing demos like for talks and for <laughs> courses and you know workshops that's the best scenario because nobody has to like now download postgres or you know install like a database or even know what like you know it reduces all the complexity so that's another good use case that yep. i found absolutely the sort of education side and the the demo side is absolutely great you also you're in full control there. Like you're you're reducing the number of points of failure uh, and yeah, reducing the complexity. Yep. Have you done anything with Storybook? Yeah, I, I love Storybook. I've just spun up a new project in the last couple of weeks where we've had quite a few contributors towards it from the from the basically day one, and we've found really really effective use of Storybook to sort of any sort of shared component goes in there, and it's very quick. You know, I can say say to the gang, you know, here, develop this. It's in Storybook. You can use it if you want, or you can, you can tweak it. So I've, I've found a lot of success. And it's also in the past as well. But this has been the most effective sort of use of it I've seen, where you've got loads of developers from the beginning on something. And, you know, you don't want to be building the same thing multiple times. And having that sandbox environment um, from the get-go has been really, really helpful. Cool. Um, 
And we got one little question about consumer-driven contract testing with, I don't know, libraries like Pact. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And if you are, for instance, when I use like Pact, I usually use that in my integration tests, for instance, and it generates the Pacts for the backend. But would that be possible to integrate that with your fake data library or something? It might be. I've not done it myself. I think I've probably, I'm probably falling into the category of people who haven't seen pack testing being used very effectively in organizations. I think that the, the theory of like how it works and what it's used for is like very sound. I'm just, I just don't think that I've really been exposed to anyone, like any organization that, that does it well. Um, but I'm sure there's a million people out there that can tell me that they love it. In terms of using it with these sorts of like fake data libraries, I'm, I'm not 100% sure whether or not that's, um, I don't know what the right word is, uh, whether you, there's a, a decent enough yield from that to make it worth the effort. But may, maybe the rest of the gang here um, have some other thoughts. Yeah, I think that like the future is in the connectivity between those two points. Like you already have your fake data, which has a schema you know, like a shape. And you already have, like, if, if you're going to, I, I think that, again, the future is in, like, stuff like Pact. I don't know if Pact itself, because it's still, like, uh, lacking, uh, I, I feel like a proper uh, node server stable, like, for testing and stuff like that. Still, like, uses, the I think, the Ruby application behind the scenes, uh, which I can it, confirm. Yeah, so, but the idea behind it I think is 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 uh, is very 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 useful, and to those of you who don't know what it is, check out Pact J S P A C T. Basically, it means that you have contract test between your client and your server, and when you mock out your server, like with like, instead of using um, like just fake data without any connection to the server side. You actually use fake data, and that fake da- data and or the contract is being generated as a JSON, and then on the server side they take this JSON and run it through, uh, like as an API call to the server to test if the server returns what it, the contract says it needs to return, and if not, you see an integration problem, and that's a, I, I feel it, that's a much more scalable approach uh, rather than like using integration test or end-to-end test because those can cover just you know a small chunk of your uh, logic because otherwise for an enterprise application for example it can take like two hours I don't know to run all the scenarios uh, and everything breaks all the time. But I don't. I feel like we're only just beginning. Like I don't have like a go-to solution now because I think that there's still much more work to be done. But I I feel that Pact is cool organization. Like the people behind it, they're open. They have a cool. Uh, uh, not, it's not Slack. I think it's a Gitter channel, uh, or no, they have also a Slack channel and uh, very open to collaborations and contributions. So that's my, but, but I think the connection between like the fake data and something like Pact or contract testing, this is the obvious thing because you already have it. It's like, I think they have, there's a strong connection that they want to work now on in trying to solve, which is between storybooks and unit tests. 
because both have use cases, right? You describe use cases in your storybook, like which flags can you like turn on and stuff like that and how it behaves, which basically is the same setup in the unit test. You set up the same stuff in the unit test. So like the connection between them, it's something I'm exploring right now and trying to maybe do something new with them. But uh, more on that later on, when I have some POC to show. Uh, <laughs> and but by, by the way, concerning impacts for those who want to try, like in fact, like Shia, like oh, I don't know if I'm gonna take it with me on this, but you know, I'm not a big fan of like the Ruby implementation because like Pact is really based on running a Pact server next to your app and then running a Pact client to test your API, which is not very unit tests and friendly and parallelization friendly and yeah it breaks a lot and it yeah. breaks a lot so i've been experimenting things where you what i love about pact is the pact specification like the json file that the says schema, yeah. uh, the schema is really nice and it says like i'm expecting this request and i'm going to respond this if i'm in this state and I'm not aware of any library. I've just been experimenting things. And um, maybe we can... Ooh, you're working on something that they will auto-generate the files without going through the server? Yeah, the idea is to make something that doesn't, especially doesn't need the client. What I want to mean by this, I'm not like pointing out, like I'm not teasing about anything. I'm just saying that... uh, (laughs) I'm just saying that Pack, if you're not satisfied by packed JS, uh, like server and all the so infrastructure. So perform a DDoS attack on them. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we need some libraries that handle the specification. So keep an eye on like the, the packed specification. The, the schema is really nice and the way they did it. I think there's something, I joined Chai on this, like there's something we can we can do there to join like all this fake data with the swagger and the packed, there is something. There is something to do. This is the future. Yeah. Yep. yep. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I said it before. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, but I was alone with uh, my cat. With my cat. We're kind of getting toward the end of our time. Is there anything else that we should uh, make sure we cover here? How long it took you to, to grow this beard, Dave? Oh, yes, you can see this. I'm not too sure because I do trim it quite a bit. <laughs> I've had it for quite a few years now. It's Most, magnificent, let me oh, tell you. Th- thank you very much. I, I always enjoy a beard compliment. <laughs> um, there's, about, there's about 18 chins underneath this beard, I think. <laughs> I'm jealous. Oh, you're, you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious, how, how, much, how much more quickly were you able to move using this technique? Is um, it measurable or do you just feel like you're moving faster? Uh, the the beard or the, uh, the 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 mocking solutions <laughs> the mocking <laughs> the beard the beard how quickly yeah it's uh, it's much beard. less aerodynamic I feel like I mean personally it just feels like I'm not blocked by anything to do with data I can make it exactly what I want when I need to and you know what you know if I am just spinning up a new project and I'm waiting on some back end work to be done or I'm waiting on myself to implement some endpoints. You know, I can write the front end and I can develop my features or fix my bugs or whatever. And let's just say that there's nothing in place to enforce any sort of integrity between what what fake data I'm using and what the actual schema is going to look like. 
most of the time, and by most of the time, I mean 99 times out of 100, I can take a pretty good guess at what it's going to look like anyway. And, you know, if it turns out that there's an extra field that's coming back in the response body of a particular request that I need to be mindful of, or I've, I've mit- like, I've given something the wrong name or whatever, you know, that's a very quick and easy fix. Um, so I guess to answer your question directly, it, it feels many orders of magnitude faster. Um, and anyone that I've sort of introduced to this or spoken about or implored to use that's sort of engaged in any sort of conversation, you sort of, you see them have that sort of moment where they realize just how helpful this sort of stuff is. I don't really think that everyone is aware of these sorts of techniques and that they aren't complicated to set up and they're not invasive in your own code base. And you sort of see them have that sort of eureka moment, the light bulb turns on and all of a sudden, this is great. So yeah, I guess that's probably the best answer that I can give you for that. Nice. By the way, have you talked about auto-generating like, uh, stuff? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm currently, uh, I've just about written, uh, finished writing um, a Chrome plugin that I can make it record requests that I'm making and capture actual requests and export them as mocks to use. Nice. Um, which is really, really nice. I'm hoping to get that published pretty soon. Um, and I'll be spamming that on, on social media and trying to get people nice. interested in that as well. I'm away. I will retweet. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and by the way, I also have like a real quick question concerning uh, recommendation. Would you recommend using like static fake data, like as static as possible? Or would you recommend using like some dynamic features, like things we can see with the JSON server? Like, would you hard code like uh, slash user slash user ID and the response? Or would you recommend like writing dynamic stuff, like add some a little JavaScript to the JSON server? Um, that's a good question. I guess it depends on what data you're dealing with. But that sort of leads into other conversations as well. Like you've got certain things that, you know, they're pretty static. Like someone's name is pretty static. Someone's account balance is not so static. But even for the things that are really static, you know, you then get, you then delve into the territory of, I can't remember what the exact term for it is, but, you know, we're talking about, well, what if you've got a really, really long name or a really, really short name, sort of catching those sorts of boundaries. What happens when your application's using a language that is, instead of left to right, it's a right to left sort of language, and you've got those sorts of, you know, and now you've got, you've got to deal with really short and long names and see how, how your interface behaves with that sort of stuff. So I guess... I can't really directly give you an answer there. Most of the time, I tend to stick with really static things. But I guess it's definitely very valid to consider using a more dynamic approach as well. It, it probably helps you test a wider range of things. Thanks. Okay. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Shy, do you want to start us off with the picks? Uh, yes, Chuck. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I want to pick... Uh, so, Angikov did uh, this... Um, live call when they talked about uh, IV and how to prepare to Angular uh, for Angular 9. 
how to prepare right now before the announcement. So check it out. I will put a link. And also recently I um, retweeted or I tweeted this um, short video by uh, Angela Yu, where she talks about uh, her uh, approach to like um, a focus on things you can change and being a role model, a really cool short video teaches, uh, I think, iOS and how to develop uh, apps for mobile. So I'll put that as well. And those are my picks. Nice. Eunice, you have some picks for us? So I have uh, this link. It's chasongenerator.com. It's just, I thought about it because it's related to the topic. Like, it's really nice. I don't know if you know about it. It's a little online tool to generate fake data that doesn't look like FUBAR, you know, with something more realistic. It has generators for company names and cities and things like that. And the other, the other pick is a random quote from Ken's pick like Father of Extreme Programming, which is quite related to what we're talking about here today about testing and things like that. It just says like um, that developing an, app, an application is just like a boat with a hole in it. If you keep rowing, like you end up under the water. But if you just keep on like taking the water out of the boat, you're not moving. So it's like an equilibrium. And that's what I like about the approach of Dave Cooper. Okay, we're not like TDD and everything. We're not it's just like, it's not perfect. But anyway, we're moving forward and we're moving fast and we're keeping it clean anyway. You know. Awesome. By the way, I want to mention that Ken Beck has a nice uh, little video series now on YouTube on his uh, channel where the, uh, he talks about uh, testing, unit testing, I think. And um, w- one thing that he mentioned, which really makes made sense to me, was not treating your code your testing code as production code, which is countering most beliefs that I heard before, like keeping your tests dry and all that stuff. It actually creates more problems when you try to keep things dry and you end up not understanding what the tests are doing. So that's kind of a nice way and nice and, I don't know, counter approach to look at your tests and try not to dry everything and make everything util just think about what you are drying and what you're keeping in like in front of the developer who writes the test or maintain the test so that's one thing and by the way i forgot to mention in my picks let me like hijack one quick i have like a free workshop on on like the types of tests and stuff like that so you could like sign up on testangular.com and when it will be released again, you'll get a notification. But I'm talking uh, there about like, you know, uh, the contract test and all the stuff that we talked about uh, this episode. Just forgot about it. So yeah, testangular.com. And that's it for me. Nice. Eunice, anything else from you? Oh, that's it for today. Okay. I'm always like eager to go and then I'm like, am I cutting them off? So awesome. I've got a couple of picks here. The first one is... Man, on the other shows, I've been doing Christmas movie picks, but I think we might be a little bit too late on that. I'm going to throw it out anyway, and we'll just see where it goes. If you get this right after Christmas, watch them anyway. So I'm just going to pick uh, four or five Christmas movies that I really, really love. These were spread out over several weeks on like JavaScript Jabber and stuff. So if you've already heard them, I'm sorry, but there you go. Some of the movies that I think everybody should watch, I think my favorite one of all time is A Christmas Story. And that's just a classic movie. 
tons of one-liners, funny scenes. I mean, just just a terrific movie. So uh, if you haven't seen it, I think it came out in 1983. Definitely check it out. And then uh, the rest of these are going to be a bit older. The first one's called Holiday Inn. It's the first movie in which the song White Christmas appeared. And yes, there is a movie called White Christmas. Uh, both movies actually have Bean Crosby in them. And he sings the song in both movies. They're both terrific. One was made in the 40s and one was made in the 50s. Holiday Inn has uh, Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire in it. So a little bit more dancing and singing and stuff. There is plenty of singing in White Christmas, though, and it features Danny Kaye. And Danny Kaye is hilarious. So if you want to go look up other older movies that are worth watching that are freaking funny, just go find anything with him in it because they're awesome. And then another one, and this is an old movie. It's a Cary Grant movie. It's called The Bishop's Wife. Basically, uh, it's this bishop, he feels called to build the cathedral in the town. And so this angel appears and, uh, you know, kind of interacts with him and his wife. Anyway, it's a terrific movie. I'm not going to spoil too much more of it. But uh, yeah, it it was pretty awesome. And then my mom took us all to see Frozen 2. So I'm going to pick that. It's not a Christmas movie. But it was terrific. And my favorite part was the Lost in the Woods song. If you grew up as part of my generation, you'll enjoy it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Dave, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, I, <laughs> I was going to be really self-indulgent and just uh, and just pick the, the mocking library that I wrote as, as a pick. But absolutely, No, 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 no. I can't do that. Pick uh, it but, and then pick but, something else. All right, I'll, I'll pick that. Um, data mocks, you can get it off NPM. If you do, give it a go. And if you love it or hate it, please let me know. I'm, I'm always up for contributions or discussions or suggestions. Um, I love all of that stuff. But I think I'll pick another thing, which is not along these sorts of lines, but I've recently just returned to working after about three and a half months off because my baby was born and I, was, I had the opportunity to take some time, to time off work to sort of learn how to take care of a human. But during that time, I got really big into baking bread and it's unbelievably satisfying putting in the effort and the hours to getting a really good loaf of bread baked. So there's a guy who lives in Bath in the UK called Richard Bertone and he's got a book called Dough and that would be my pick. Um, I've done a, a bread making course with him before but he is like the bread god. He really understands all of that stuff. So my, my pick will be bake some bread and read that book. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love cooking. So yeah, that's right up my alley. Uh, if people want to find you online, where are you? I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active, but that's just because I don't think many people want to, to, to read my ramblings. But uh, my Twitter handle is uh, <laughs> uh, at Dave Writes Codes um, with an S on the end there. Um, you can also see my blog at davecooper.org or shoot me an email on dave at davecooper.org. Nice. All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up, but uh, thanks for coming and talking to us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That was a lot of fun. And thanks, thanks for filling in with us, Eunice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. Uh, well, uh, yeah, we'll have another one next week. And in the meantime, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.